After playing parts of 11 seasons in the major leagues, Todd Green transitioned into a scouting career, where, as he puts it, he's now in the opinion and support business. He also talks about how, thanks to Roger Clemens' penchant for prolonged pregame warm-ups, he wound up behind the plate, catching the most significant first pitch in the history of the sport. You get back to Statesboro much? When was the last time you've been through there? I haven't, um, and, and I'm supposed to go back for a pretty big big event next month um, uh, to help w- with, with uh, the athletic initiatives they have going on, but I, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it due to um, advance and, and then the fall sure. league. I'm going to have to do the fall league early this year, which I, I'll, I'll have all that. But I hope I, I'd love to get down there, but they all know my kids come first, and, and um, when I'm not working uh, at this point in time, Gavin has my full attention, so – He's playing football and baseball and, and basketball. So when uh, it's it's his time when I'm at home. So yeah, man, absolutely, that's awesome. I, I we were we were actually went to took my kids to their first college football game. I guess it was two weeks ago. Now went up to Athens and saw the dogs play. My wife's a, an alum. Drove drove by Statesboro. It's just the home of Todd Green and Cole Swindell. That's it, Luke Bryan. Did, don't don't forget Luke. So I didn't yeah. know that. Okay, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, nice. Um, so you've been doing this for a long time and you, you, you played, uh, you know, obviously played at Georgia Southern played, uh, professionally got to the big leagues, had a successful big league career. Did you get right into, uh, did you get right into scouting when you were done playing? Yeah. So I blew out for good as a player in, in spring training of 2007 with the Padres. Um, and Kevin Towers, uh, was, uh, kind enough to keep me on, on the, the minor league roster all year, uh, got through my surgery, got through my rehab. And, and he called me in maybe June of that year and said he wanted to, to keep me in the organization in some capacity, wasn't sure how, uh, uh, at what uh, capacity that would be. And then he called me maybe two weeks after the season was over uh, or, or maybe maybe a little longer when Ed Wade um, ended up leaving the Padres to go to the, to the Astros to be the GM um, and wanted me to kind of take over his uh, pro scouting job. So um, I had a year off to, to get my surgery in and rehab and, and then went into the to the scouting in 2008. Did you know you wanted to stay in the game when you were done playing? Yeah, I knew I was a lifer, Billy. I mean, uh, baseball was my whole life from as, as long as I can remember. I mean, I still have all my, my huge baseball collection, uh, baseball card collection from when I was a kid. And, and you know, even even in um, high school, I, you know, I was I was pretty good football player too but but on Saturdays and Sundays I was out in the sandlot playing baseball on the weekends in the fall so it, it was in my blood it's always been in my blood and, and uh, more than anything I love to compete and this is what I love to compete at the most yeah yeah what's um what's one thing that you it's probably hard to limit it to one but one thing that you learned or know now sitting on the other side of the fence as a scout that maybe you didn't know as a player can jump out at you um uh, well, it was easier. It was definitely easier when you, I just had to worry about me to get, get myself prepared, <laughs> right? So, um, and I learned that really as a coach in 2009. I was a major league coach in 2009. Um, it's a lot easier to, to have to prepare one one player than make sure all the players have what they need. So, um, just the totality of the game and being able to sit. Well, and it was a luxury of being a, a, a bench player most of my career, too, is I got to watch a lot of games. Uh, and, and I do believe you learn uh, way more about the game watching it than you do playing it. Uh, um, as I said, when you're playing every day, those guys that grind every day, Freddie Freeman's, you know, plays every game, and, and um, you just don't have time to, to sit back and digest what you're watching because you have to worry about what you're doing. And so uh, being able to watch the game, 
uh, um, and be able to evaluate things is certainly um, uh, something that I enjoy about it for sure. That's a great point. Um, it's it's such a long season. There's, I mean, you don't even, you know, spring training, playoffs, sandwiched in between 162 regular season games. Um, there's just so much on the plate. That's a great point about being a bench player. And plus, you were you were a catcher, right? So it was, you know, you played multiple positions in the big leagues, but you came up, and that's a unique perspective of the game as well. Everybody's in front of you, um, you know, and so I'm sure that served you well for in that transition off the field. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, you, you kind of as as which is why a lot of uh, managers uh, throughout the years have been catchers because you have to pay attention to to every little detail of of the the game and and more importantly, you have to be able to communicate. Especially with uh, back then, we we would only have eleven or twelve pitchers on the team. Now they have most teams have thirteen, but you have to be able to communicate with all of them, and they're all different. You know, some you got to yell and scream at, some you got to give them extra love, and and coddle them and, and and so it's up to the catcher to figure out which ones are which so you can get the best out of them and i do believe that's 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 similar to managers being able to communicate with all their players too yeah no no i mean it's one thing to uh you know be an all-star outfielder but you're half the game you're standing out there by yourself there's nobody within 40 yards of you you know and so yep. uh it's another thing altogether you've got everybody on your team in front of you you get the whole pitching staff to worry about and you've got the opponent you know two feet away from me at the same time so you're just uh, through nothing but osmosis, you're going to pick up some some tendencies and some things about the game. Yeah, for sure. Well, like you just said, the outfielders and all, and all the other infielders, you know, in between pitches, they're thinking about their last at bat or their next at bat, or, or hopefully some of them are thinking about where they're going to throw the ball if it's hit to them. But as a catcher, you got to think about the next pitch. You have you have to read and react to, to what pitch just happened. Uh, you have to read and react to, to the guy that's on deck, to the guy that's in the hole to who's live in my bullpen tonight, who shut down in my bullpen tonight. So there's, there's never a dull moment for a catcher, which, which I do believe that has helped as a scout that you could stay focused on every little detail of the game, which I don't believe, uh, well, I know other positions don't have that. So um, I think that's the unique perspective of being the catcher for sure. Yeah. I noticed that when I played, I played through college and, and noticed that when I got into scouting, just that some of it just came easier to me than seemingly some other younger scouts, um, partly because I was just used to looking at more things, you know, multiple things at once. Right. And it's like anything, right? You take it for granted when that's what you do uh, and what you uh, are, are accustomed to. But there are things that there's a lot going on in the game, uh, you know, as well as anybody that you can sit there with a hot dog and the beer in the stands and not notice 99.9% .9 of it. And a lot of that's impacting the game, either directly or indirectly, just little nuances that, uh, I mean, for me, look, I'm biased, but that's part of the beauty about baseball, right? It's all those little nuances. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many things that you can read, right? I mean, hit, hitters sometimes will move up in the box if they're anticipating a, a breaking ball or stuff like that or move closer to the play if they think you're going to stay away from them. And, and those are all things that, as a catcher, that, that you have to call an audible for, right? So you, you can't – you go into a game plan fully understanding that, that we're going to have to change this at some point. Um I know now they have the cards on their wrists and stuff like that, 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 that they pretty much think they have everything scripted. Unfortunately, in, in sports, the, the game is played on grass and dirt, not that paper on, in, in, your, in your wristband. So, uh, and it's played with humans with heartbeats. So you have to call audible sometimes based on uh, uh, hitters doing things that you weren't anticipating uh, uh, or uh, um, a situation the bases loaded about in the first, you weren't prepared for that, right? So there's just so many things that, that, that are unscripted in the game and that that's part of the beauty of it too. Yeah. Amen. I mean, we could, we could wind up going down a rabbit hole here. If you get me into, you know, from college baseball on down with everything being scripted and coaches calling pitches and um, you know, I, I totally agree. And I'm curious who some of the uh, 
who are some of the smarter guys that you either played with or, or saw up close as, you know, a scout or a coach uh, when it comes to reading things, you know, whether it's other players or just having that instinct that's not, you know, sort of a pre-scripted, uh, this is what I'm going to do in my first at bat kind of deal. Yeah, well, I was, first of all, like like we, we discussed earlier, I was the bench player. So I, I consider myself fortunate to have, to have bounced around a little bit because I was around a lot of great people uh, and learned a lot from um, different perspectives of people. So there's no question the the smartest two baseball people I've ever been around are Don Zimmer and Larry Boa. Um, it, it's not close. Um, Zim is, is kind of in a class by himself, but Larry Boa is right there. And then from a from a from uh, 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 players who had impacts on me, is guys like Dave Hollins and Gary DeSarcina early in my career, Chuck Finley. Um, and, and then I bounced around uh, and, and learned different things from, from different people, whether it was the way Derek Jeter was a leader. Um, you know, he, he's the, the true definition of what a captain of, of a, any sports team should be. Um, so, so I was just lucky to be around a lot of really smart people. Obviously, uh, being around Buck Showalter, who, who, who I believe back then, he was never going to get out managed. Now, the, 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 all the decisions may not work out, but but he, he was – he was sharp and on top of it. So, um, and, and when you talk about guys like that, I mean, they impact you. I think most players would say it's someone they, they played with when they first got to the big leagues that impacted them the most because right. you, you're really just kind of a blank canvas at that point and soaking it all up. And, and the difference in player development is, is during player development, you're focused on getting yourself to be the best player you can be. Well, when you get to the big leagues, it's about winning. It's not about you anymore. And so there's a lot of things that, that you, you're not necessarily get harped on in the minor leagues or focused on when you're in the minor leagues. But when you get to the big leagues, it doesn't matter about you anymore. It matters if the team's winning. So, um, and I was lucky to have great veteran players. Like I said, Dave Hollins and Gary DeSarcina, Chuck Finley, those kind of guys to, to, to teach me and guide me along the way. Yeah, it's incredible what kind of impact that can have on a player. And, and, and you probably, I don't know, did you realize that at the moment? Did you know it that like, you know, I'm just going to sit here and soak this up or was it more sort of looking back on it, you can appreciate it? Well, I, I think I was a sponge, right? It, it, again, it's different. Um, again, I was a 12th round senior signed for $5,000 who made myself a top prospect really fast and got to the big leagues relatively quick. Uh, um, and so I, I always just looked at myself as a sponge, man. I, I was soaking it all in. There was, uh, I showed up every day, you know, ready to work and, and learn and, and never took anything for granted. So um, but that, that's part of my upbringing, the way my mom and dad raised me. And, and certainly I was lucky to have great high school and college coaches as well. But um, just I knew I was a sponge and I wanted to learn as much as I could. So I was open to anything and everything that I could learn. Yeah, sure. And I know you're I know you're involved in in the youth space as well. Um, you know, with some of the uh, what, what age groups are you dealing with with the, is the, the TGD decks? We have nine youth through 17 um, and, and it's a lot of fun. I started out for my older son um, when I got done playing and, and just the, the, the travel baseball landscape is so um I guess crazy is the right, it's not the best word, but it's the right word I can say on here. But, uh, um, and so I just didn't want my son uh, to have to go through all that stuff. And then the craziness of it, even back then, kind of made it a competition with me. And then, like I told you before, it, I like to compete. So don't, don't, don't try to start a competition with me. So, um, so yeah, it's been fun. Uh, I enjoy the competition of it. I enjoy teaching of it. Um, we, we, ran our, our first uh, fall practice last weekend. We run it like a minor league spring training. We have a bunch of kids on the field at the same time. And, 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 and I'm out there teaching them all the little details that I was taught along the way. So um, the one thing I learned after I got done playing and started uh, coaching the young kids is, is assume nothing, right? So 
there's so much stuff that is innate in me that, that is uh, what is now instinctual, but I forgot I was taught those things at some point. So um, I, I think the, 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 there's two kinds of bad coaches, right? The, the ones who forgot how hard the game is and the ones who never knew. So uh, I, I try to not to be, to be either one of those for sure. You talk about uh, being a sponge, paying attention, listening, appreciating, uh, kind of embracing your role as a bench player in your big league career. Um, and then you get to, you know, a 10U team where, you know, kids have got, you know, social media and all this other stuff going on in their life. Um, where are kids at right now with, with I don't want to say attention span, but, you know, willingness to learn and openness and the things that you're teaching. I mean, obviously, you've got a resume that is going to catch a kid's attention if, if they're serious about baseball and want to learn and get better. But, you know, once it starts, you know, what's, what's the, what's your overall impression of that, of the kids now, as opposed to, you know, 10, 20 years ago? Well, I, I well, I, I was coaching a 10 year old, uh, um, you know, 10, 12 years ago with my older son and it's different. Now. So what I would say is kids are no different than anybody else uh, um, or, or player development, professional players. They're just, they're at different stages at different times. There's some 10 year olds that are ready for it. That'll, that'll sit there and look you dead in the eye and take everything into your sand. And there's some that aren't ready for that yet. It doesn't mean they're not good players or won't be good players. It just means from an uh, emotional and mental standpoint, they're not ready to pay attention to it yet. And, and so I think you have to coach them all accordingly. Um, you have to have guidelines, just no different than a first grade teacher would have. Right. So you, you just have to be patient with, with the ones who need patience and the ones who are ready for it. Then those are the ones you push. Those are the ones you try to excel and to, to learn new things, different things about the game and, and try to get them ahead of the curve for when they get to the big field. So, um, uh, I, I think that that's just that simple. The ones that are ready for it, you, you kind of give it to them, and, and and the ones who aren't, you bring along at their pace. Yeah, yeah. And look, and, and and knowing you the way I do, my guess is your approach is uh, probably pretty simple and rooted in fundamentals and competing. And uh, with all the other stuff that's going on out there, right? With um, you know, analytics and technology and, and all this stuff that is great as a supplement and as a tool, uh, we got to remember how to play the game. We got to remember how to go about getting better. That's, that's, that's an assumption on my part, but I feel pretty comfortable making that assumption with you. Well, there's no doubt that we keep it simple. And again, my, my college coach, Jack Stallings used to say it best. It's simple, but it ain't easy. Don't confuse those two words. So the, the, the more simple you can make it, then the easier it becomes. And so uh, every aspect of the, uh, of the game that I teach, is to keep it very simple, right? And so um, it is, the game has become complicated. Um, it has it become uh, it, so much, the water has been muddy, put it that way. And, and so, and it's no different than it ever was. I wanted to be uh, emulate and be like big leaguers too when I was a kid. So these kids want to do things that the big leaguers are doing, and, and which is not always a good thing because I haven't, I've never seen a 10 year old play in the big leagues, right? So <laughs> the, the, the Maybe in a movie one time, but the, 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 uh, the, the big leaguers were 10 year olds at one point too, going through the same steps and processes that these 10 year olds are today. So I do try to keep it simple, make them understand. Let's, let's be a good 10 year old. Let, let, let's don't try to be a big leaguer at 10. So um, again, it goes back to the simplicity of it. Yeah, no doubt. No, it's a good way. It's a good way to put it. And yeah, we all did. We all emulated our favorite batting stances and, and, you know, tried to be whoever we want to be when you grow up. And, you know, we had to rely on, 
uh, you know, whatever game of the week happened to be on or whatever, whatever station we could get clearly, uh, you know, these kids can watch anybody, anybody they want at any time and highlights and the whole thing. And, uh, you know, look at their launch angle and their exit velo and all this other stuff and compare it to big leaguers. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for, uh, and I love the simple and, and, uh, simple and easy contrast. And it's, it's a good, it's a good one. I think for anybody to kind of keep in mind. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, all those things, you, you know, where I, I I'm from. I mean, you know, I could be accused of being old school. I, I don't. I don't like that term. I think it, it has negative connotations. I'm just a baseball guy. So, um, the game hasn't changed for a long time. The way people view it has changed, but the game itself hasn't changed. So, um, the players are bigger, stronger, faster today. Um, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about that actually, from from your perspective, right? I look at how hard guys are throwing, how fast they are. Uh, you know, really like statistics aside, because that's that's kind of separate, right? That's production, that's performance, that's not tools, but it's not just baseball, right? It's guys are jumping out of the gym in the NBA and guys are benching, you know, crazy numbers and running 40 times you've never seen before for 300 pound line. Like it's all, all sorts of crazy stuff going on. I mean, at what point do you think we hit like a, we hit a plateau? Do we say, okay, that's as far as we can take this from like an evolution standpoint, you know, the game doesn't change. Uh, you, you get bigger, faster, stronger, you put on more muscle, but your ligaments and your bones aren't, aren't necessarily tracking with the, the physical development of your muscles, you know? So it's like, you're dealing with kids at, at the youth level all the way up to the big leagues. And it's all, it's all kind of the same thing, right? Like you're, you're all trying to accomplish the same thing, which is maximize human potential in your body and all that and, and, and squeeze every drop of talent out of you. Uh, I'm curious about like, just the evolution of physically where the game's gone from maybe even just from when you were playing. Well, I, I think one thing, well, first of all, the radar guns are juiced. The balls are juiced. Uh, um, so there's more guys throwing hard today, um, but they're not throwing harder than, than when I played. The, the, right. the gun definitely three, four miles an hour different, maybe more, depending on what stadium you're at, right? So, um, and the other thing is, is what is tolerated by general managers has changed. So, Guys now will come up and throw the ball over the place and, and throw 98 miles an hour and be 3-2 on every hitter, and that's tolerated. But when I played, that wasn't tolerated. You, you know, we called them carnival guys, right? So yep. the guys they were never going to come to the big leagues and threw really hard because they couldn't throw consistent strikes. Well, more and more of that is being tolerated now. So more and more guys are just trying to, to you know, uh, uh, grunt and throw as hard as they can every pitch because they think that they're going to get a chance if they throw 98, 99 miles an hour. And, and, and in most – cases they probably are um but so so i think uh, again i don't think much has changed it's just what we tolerate now has changed so more guys instead of trying to learn how to pitch are just trying to throw it hard and, and hope the hitters miss it and yeah. so um i think that what we've tolerated has changed more than actual guys that throw hard um but to, to, to your point about the training and, and the guys getting bigger, faster, stronger, which is, which is all true, but, you know, I, don't, I, I can't statistically back it up, but it just seems like more guys are getting hurt too. And so I, I don't know where that balance is, but I, I do know this. We have to keep our best players on the field. Our game needs our, our stars to stay on the field. And, and so whatever we have to do to keep, keep our stars on the field, the game of baseball needs it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's an interesting point about the, you know, the carnival throwers and AAA was littered with guys throwing 98, you know, with no idea where it was going forever. Uh, and now those guys are littered throughout the big leagues. 
Yep. Um, does that make your job higher, harder as, as an evaluator, the guys that throw, uh, you know, I, I saw, I saw, I saw something online the other day and it was uh, showcasing Kevin Tappany, right. And Kevin Tappany was six feet, 180 pounds, yeah. you know, and he's playing in the middle of steroid era and he's just kind of just surviving and getting outs and pitching a contact and like those guys, I don't want to say they don't exist, but they certainly don't exist in the numbers that they used to. Again, it's to your point, what we tolerate, but that in turn kind of makes it those guys a little bit harder to evaluate because you just don't have as many guys to compare them to that do it that way anymore. Yeah, well, and it's not value, right? Because the spin rates now, and again, it's 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 what we tolerate and how, what we what we uh, what we want to reward. Uh, well, I like rewarding guys to get outs and, and right. keep the game moving and, and keep the, the, the defense on their toes. And, and you know, the, the pitch clock has helped a couple of things. But I, I think back to, to pitchers when I played that worked really slow, like Steve Traxel, Hideo Numo, those type of guys. And they worked really slow and never had runs scored for them. They never had those plays made. Those great plays were never made when they were pitching. Well, that, that's not a coincidence, right? So right. like you mentioned, Tappany, this guy threw a ton of strikes. Brad Ratke, the, the, all those guys threw all these strikes. They weren't overpowering and the balls were put in play. And there's highlight reels with those guys pitching everywhere. Defensive plays made behind them. So um, I, I think it, it, it's evolved into um, um, a, a more of a power game. And f- from, a, from an evaluation standpoint, I still evaluate the way I started scouting in 2008, what I think is going to work in the big leagues and what's not. And so, um, as you know, sitting in our, in our meetings, I was, I was brutally honest with, I'm in the opinion business and the support business, not the decision business. So I'm going to give you my opinion and support whatever decisions made. And so, uh, 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 I have evolved as a scout. I use an iPad now instead of paper and pen. Right. So, so I've evolved. Um, but the way I see players is not going to change. It's, um, you know, I, I try to make the best decision I can on what's going to impact our major league team for, for a three-year span, and, and that's the way I evaluate players, um, not just what they are today, but where they're going to be three years from now. And then, then we have uh, uh, very good uh, decision makers to make those decisions, not me. And I like it that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've definitely sat in on meetings with you, and you're, you're going to voice your opinion. And, and uh, look, that's the beauty of scouting, man, like that. You can you can almost do anything if you script it out and say, okay, here's here's your velocity chart, here's your spin rate chart, here's all your measurables. Go scout. You can, you can scout that game, you know, if you're just looking to fill out numbers into a box. But but connecting those dots, having an opinion, having and and, and yours, you know, you were one of the, the the best that I've been around and doing that, having a an opinion as to the why, not just the what. Like why is this guy going to be successful? What's going to happen? I know it doesn't look traditional or it doesn't wow you but here's how he's doing it here's why he's doing it that way uh that's the i mean that's the beauty of of scouting and baseball in general is is being able to sort of um you know just make those connections and uh you know i feel like we've i feel like we're getting away from that in in virtually all aspects of our life right now like it's just everything is sort of data driven and and data is hugely important but you know data in the wrong hands is kind of useless too Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, first of all, data has always been used, right? I mean, it's, it's not it's not a new concept. They came up with a new name for it um, instead of statistics. It's just data or analytics, right? Well, and, and the way I like to describe it is, again, they're useful. Um, <clears throat> they're for sure useful, but it's the picture frame, not the picture. And so I, I don't I don't get uh, enamored with the picture frame. I, I want to make sure I stay focused on the picture. And, and so that's just the, the, the best way for me 
um, uh, to, to kind of give you the picture of how, no pun intended, of how I see it. So, um, but performance does matter. Performance does matter for sure. And so, yeah, look, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those deals where you, um, I mean, I'm sure you have guys off the top of your head. You can name, you saw them, you didn't like them. You just didn't like the way they were doing it. The numbers didn't necessarily wow you. And you look up eight years later and this guy's still in the big leagues and you're like, man, I, I just don't get it. I don't know how it's happening, but here he is. He's got the back of the baseball card to prove it. Yeah. Well, we're, look, as you know, I mean, we're going to be, we're going to be wrong both ways. We're going to be wrong about guys that we didn't like and, and wrong about guys that we did. And so that's, that's just part of what, what you have to live with. But, you know, guys with, with 420 on base percentages and low A that are hitting 225, I mean, I'm, they throw strikes. The higher levels you go to, they throw more strikes. You're going to have to hit. And when he hits it, he's a 225 hitter. And, and y- y'all can tell me batting average doesn't matter all you want, but it does. So at some point, they're going to throw more strikes, and you're going to have to hit it. So, um, And the, the guys who can do both – uh, the on-base guys with with um, with the batting average and with the slug and all that, the, the OPS is all the, you know, the cute things we have now. But it, it, it's a um, it, it's a fun challenge. I, I love I love the challenge of scouting. Um, I love the fact that I get to scout uh, our players, the Diamondbacks players. Um, I, I love that that pressure and, and and that excitement to to be able to go and try to place the proper value on our players um, to try to help us get better and win. That that's that's uh, it's a challenge and I love it. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious when you, you've got, you you know, you've certainly got conviction, you've got opinions, you've got the why, like I talked about, was there anything when you started scouting, you got off the field as a player and day one of scouting and jumped out at you that was like, man, this is hard, right? Like everybody's got a blind spot. Was there something in particular that you, you, you kind of struggled with early on in your scouting career? Yeah. I I would say the younger players, like we just talked about Billy. I I mean, I have so much respect for the amateur scouts that that, that, that go out and see these guys a hard gig, 17, 18 years old and and be able to to envision what they're going to like in five years. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, uh, I say fortunate, um, maybe it would have been better if I did do some amateur scouting, but, but kind of, and KT told me this, that, that, that my, what I was good at right away in scouting was going to double A and say, that's going to work. And that's not regardless of how they're performing. Like th- that's what I was really good at right away. Um, and then as I've been scouting now for a long time, it, it's um, I kind of enjoy the, the, the yes or no when, when they're 18 and 19 years old too. So um, it, it's, but I tell you what it does. Like I said, it gives me so much respect for the guys who did the amateur scouting for so long and still continue to do it to, to be able to project these skinny 17 year old kids that, that, that they're going to be hall of famers one day. So it's, uh, it's definitely hard. Um, and, uh, no different than, than the pro and major league scouting that, that, that I've always done. You know, they have their swings and misses too. If, if, if you don't have swings and misses, that means you sat on the fence your whole scouting career and that's not good exactly. either. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, what do you think the, the biggest misconception is about scouting or what you do? day to day someone whether it's somebody in the game or outside the game well i, I think uh, uh um a lot well i gotta be careful how i say it did, did, did some people believe the analytics tell the whole story again and so it, it just doesn't right and, and so um people can believe that i know certain teams have <clears throat> have eliminated eliminated a lot of scouts and, and doing stuff based on analytics i, I just think the, the more times and the more history you have with players um, the, the more times you're going to be right about players. And, and so 
I, I just think, uh, and I think maybe it's coming back around a little bit, Billy, where, where you're seeing more and more scouts in the stands, which is refreshing to see. Um, I, I, I think people respect scouts. I think a lot of uh, the, the, the casual fans and, and uh, fanatical fans appreciate scouts and understand them, and, and, and they're always very kind when we're in the stands and ask, they ask really good questions. So it's uh, – um, I think scouting has been a staple of baseball for 160 years, and I don't think it's going to stop. Yeah, I, I hope you're right, man. I hope that um, I'm glad to hear that you're, you're seeing more scouts in the stands because uh, I worried. You know, I've been out a couple of years now, but um, even when I was still working the game every day, worried that you know this generation of scouts is getting pushed out the door, and it's once you kind of sever that institutional knowledge out of the game. It's not coming back. You know, there, there, there'll always be guys that you can hire and call them a scout. That doesn't mean that they they can scout or have the experience to to add that value. I mean, it's a it's a unique value. I always enjoy talking to guys like yourself, uh, Ted Simmons. I got the the pleasure of working with in, in Atlanta. Guys who have done some things, have conviction, are unafraid to voice their opinion, but at the same time, there's there's a humility about them saying, "Look, I, there's there's a lot. There's a much bigger picture outside of like." my worldview here that I understand needs to be sort of factored in to make the right decision. But I just always worried it was going to, I know it's all cyclical, but you sort of over rotate toward all data all the time. And, uh, you know, the data's not going to go anywhere. You can always kind of pull from that, but sort right. of that, that human capital, that intelligence, that wisdom, once it's gone, it's, it's gone. Yeah. Well, I, I also think Billy that, 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 there was a lot of really good scouts that, that have been let go, but there's also a lot of scouts who didn't work very hard that got let go too. So uh, I, I think you, you just can't fake it anymore. Right. So a lot of guys just didn't work hard in my opinion, right. Cause I, I would be there with them and watch them and, and they had really good ears, but not, not very good eyes. So, uh, um, so, so I, I think some of the, the, the guys who got washed out um, probably had it coming for a while, but, um, you know, sometimes the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater, too. So a lot of good scouts um, um, still don't have jobs as well. So I, I think if you're good with conviction and passion and, and love it and, and uh, genuinely want to help your major league team win games, then, then there will always be a place for you. What about the younger guys you've seen, whether it's with the Diamondbacks or, or other organizations um, that are just starting out their, their scouting career? You know, is the is the perspective different? Is the approach different? Um, they just came up at a different point in the game where it was, where again, different things were tolerated, different things were emphasized and value. Um, they obviously come with a different sort of set of values when it comes to baseball, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the good thing about our young guys is they ask a lot of good questions and, and they're not afraid to, to call the, the veteran scouts that we have or chief or Piotnik or myself. I mean, these guys use us and, and ask good questions. So, um, but there's a lot of guys that I see in the stands uh, with other teams that, that are that are data collectors and, and reporters more than scouts. So it, 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 I think it goes both ways. It's like anything else. Right. So um, but the, the, the young guys we have um, in our organization, they ask good questions. They work hard. They're passionate about it. We have calls uh, every other week um, just to talk about things that we're seeing, noticing trends in the game. Things are going to help us get better. So. Um, I really like the way our scouting department has come together and, and kind of sharpening each other. Um, but again, to your point, some of the young guys just believe you know, it's better to have good ears than eyes. And so I just kind of try to stay away from those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give them any fodder. That's right. Yeah. 
Um, you talked earlier about Jeter as a, as a player, and and a lot of what you've touched on today is kind of tied back to, you know, emotional intelligence, communication skills, leadership. Uh, you know, who are some of the guys that you worked with, uh, either as a, as a player, whether it was a, a coach or manager, or sort of post playing career that that have had that gift that have been able to lead and and you know, sort of uh, rally, rally a group to sort of a, a unified goal when you've got all these varying perspectives and, and maybe priorities and sets of values. Uh, but you're all trying to do the same thing, which is about a World Series. Yeah, I think early on in my career, Joe Madden was that guy. Uh, um, you know, he, he was the farm director when I got drafted. Uh, he was the, the guy that, that converted me to being a catcher. And then when I first got to the big leagues, he was the bench coach. And so I think just the positivity that he brought to, to a clubhouse and to a team and, Certainly, uh, having a relationship with him from from the from the moment I got into professional baseball to to the day I broke into the big leagues helped. But Joe was very uh, big early on in my career, and then uh, when I got to Toronto with Cito Gaston, um, he gave me the best hitting advice I ever had um, because uh, you know I could I could hit anybody's fastball for the most part, but so I didn't see very many. I got a lot of breaking balls, and so. Um, Cito Gaston said to me one time, he said, Greeny, you know, you just, you need to keep your swing going when you recognize the breaking ball. He said, you've been told your whole life to stay inside the ball and keep it fair. He said, no, keep your swing going. If you pull it foul, you're not out. Keep your swing going and you're going to do good things. And his point was, is if you try to slow your swing down and alter your swing, you're going to get yourself out. You're going to jam yourself a lot. And so on the breaking balls, just keep, keep your swing going. If you pull it foul, so what? And so that was really the best hitting advice, um, that, that, the, the one single bit of hitting advice that I ever got. And I still, I try to pass that along today to, to young hitters who, who have these guys that, that say, Hey, all you have to do is just stay back and hit the breaking ball the other way. Oh, it's that easy. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, I, I wish I had known that when I played. Right? Uh-huh. Um, but also uh, Cito was, was, uh, had impact on me as a hitter. Um, and then when, when I went through my injuries and came back, uh, um, from my injuries in my shoulder and I took probably two years off um, where I couldn't catch. And when I started catching again, Brian Cashman signed me and, and sent me to, to AAA um, to see if I was going to be able to catch again. And so I had Trey Hillman as my manager there and Trey was very, uh, very patient and bringing me along um, and, and did because I had two or three service years in the major leagues at that time. He was, he was a little hard on me and made me earn it too, which I respected. And so there's just so many guys along the way at different phases of my career, I just seemed like I had the right guy at the right time to help me continue my career um, um, and so forth. And then uh, fast forward to, to get into Colorado, Jamie Quirk was awesome and, and showed me some little bit of things. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know, six, seven years into my career that would help me be a better catcher as, as I started to age and slow down. You have to do things a little differently. And so, uh, you know, guys like that who, who meant a lot to me in my career and obviously – you know, I'm done. I've been done playing 17 years now. You know, I still remember those guys and the things they told me. So um, clearly it had impact. And so I try to make sure I keep little simple things like that when I'm coaching these young kids, whether they're 10 or 17 or, or even kids we've had come through our programs that are in college or in pro ball now. You know, they'll check in with me and, and I just try to encourage them and, and, and give them little little bitty tidbits that help me make it through tough times and stuff like that. So um, but those are the guys, man. You just remember them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I love talking to guys that whether you know you get you get 15 years in the big leagues or or you never got there. Uh, the way folks talk about the people that impacted their careers, you know, uh, 
I know, uh, you know, KT always used to love asking people the scout that signed him, right? What was the guy's name? And it was yep. a huge red flag for him if he couldn't name it, right? right. I don't right. care how long ago it was he drafted. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you know, that path and, and, and baseball is such a, you know, it's such a mental game, right? It's a game of, of, of mindset and adjustments and, and uh, keeping it simple, you know? And, and, and there's so much, like you have, you have this skill set, you have these tools, you have this ability to get you you know, in your case to the big leagues, right? And now all of a sudden you're gonna sort of, you know, using the Cito Gassner analogy, you're gonna start changing your swing, which is what got you here, you know, on a break it. Like that's, that seems like a bad idea. Like when you step back, when you zoom out and you're like, hey dude, why am, why am I gonna change like the one thing yeah. I'm best at, you know? Yeah. Um, but when you're in it every day, it's so easy to, it's, you know, you see so many pitches, you make so many outs, you get so many hits. And, um, it's, I mean, it's a good life lesson for, for anybody, forget just athletes, like, you know, lean in on your strengths, man, and, and, and go with what, you know, well, no doubt. And I'll change the word. We'll, we'll lean in. I would say perfect, perfect your strengths. Right. Right. So, so many guys want to work on their weaknesses. Well, I mean, reality is if you have an identifiable weakness, it's probably always going to be a weakness. So Perfect your strengths first, right? So I used to tell people I had a do not disturb sign for the fastball middle end. Like I, I didn't have to worry about that. I perfected that for a long time, right? So I, it was just don't don't throw it there, right? Yep. So um, certainly not guaranteed to hit, but I was going to hit it hard for the most part somewhere. And so um, that's the focus is, is perfect your strengths. You certainly want to brush up on your weaknesses, but also I think from a hitting perspective, um, and this is I've noticed this with certain left handed hitters that, that, that I played with and tried to help coach too, um, that, that maybe have that hole at the top of the zone with the fastball and, and they, they want to work on hitting a high tee or get a machine and work on hitting a high pitch and say, hey, I have a better idea. How about you work on taking it? And, and you know, pitchers don't look, pitchers don't execute every pitch. They're human beings, too. So learn how to take it when they make those mistakes that because you perfected your strengths. Now you make them pay. So. I've just always believed, like I had a, my weakness was the slider, right? So um, how about you work on taking them instead of trying to hit them in the right field? Let, let, let's start with that. And so, again, but to me, that's simple, right? So if you're able to dial it back and keep it that simple, then you have a chance, you know, to have uh, uh, several bubblegum cards, right? So like, like you talked about earlier, um, everybody used to say getting to the big leagues is the hardest thing in the world to do. No, it's not staying there is the hardest thing to do. Right. So, yeah. um, and so the more simple you can keep it, the better chance you have to, to stay there for multiple years. Well, it's, e it's easy to say, right. It's, 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 you know, incredibly hard to do. And, and that's where those veteran guys, whether they're hitting coaches or managers or scouts or have you just, they have that, they have that wisdom. They have that perspective. They're not, you know, they're not too close to the elephant with your own swing to be able to tell you, Hey dude, you like, yeah, I can work on becoming like from a D plus slider hitter to a C minus slider hitter, but what's that going to get me? Why don't right. I go from like the A minus fastball hitter to the A plus fastball hitter? Then that's just, that's squared away. I don't have to worry about it to your point. And it's human nature. I mean, we all want to get better what we're not good at, but yeah, maximize your strengths, you know, just lean on that every chance you get. And uh, I think there's beauty in that simplicity of like, I'm never going to be a good slider hitter. So why don't I become a good slider taker? Why do I not, why don't I just become the best guy in the league and not swinging at a pitch? I can't hit very well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And again, even though that's a simple approach, it's still hard to do, right? So, oh yeah, you can keep it as simple as you want, but no matter what, it's not going to be easy. So mm -hmm. it's, um, but, but you have to have those little things to help you get through. 
uh, and it has to be it has to come from yourself i mean again it's great to have a coach but but in reality and as soon as i got done playing i started coaching my son i would try to tell him hey man i'm going to be able to help you as your coach but you have to be your best hitting coach i can tell you what i see but only you feel what you feel i don't feel what you feel so everyone's going to have to be their best coach and and sometimes a great major league hitting coach just reminds you of that and hey man what were you feeling back in April when you were hitting 400? Like you have to feel it. You have to be your best coach. And, and so I think that's the importance of, of, of being a major league hitting coach, which by the way is the worst, the worst major league job there is is the hitting coach Yeah, <laughs> for a lot of reasons, right? Cause you, you yeah. never get the credit and you, and you take all the blame. Correct. So, yeah. <clears throat> there's a lot of reasons, but, but yeah, just keeping it simple and coming up with your own stuff and being your own best coach, I think is really important. Well, the good ones, you know, they they tend to ask more questions than give directives, right? To your point about just like, you're not going to tell a guy who's been hitting in the big leagues for eight years how to do what he's doing. It's just like finding the right cue. And that, that's what I tell. It's always fun to see guys that they get traded or they sign as a free agent and they go somewhere and there's, you know, uh, the hitting coach maybe does get the credit for, for about a month, right? When some guy sets the world on fire because just the way he turned a phrase resonated with that guy. And it, and it, it was able to land, you know? And so there are guys that are able to sort of resurrect that uh, in certain places. But to your point about like the self-awareness, you got to know, you got to know your swing. You got to know yourself. You got to, you know, you got to be realistic about it. That's the thing I've always uh, been fascinated by is that balance of like confident alpha conquer the world. I can do anything with like the humility of like, well, maybe I can't do everything. Maybe, I, you know, maybe I can just do what I do well. Yeah. Well, it starts with confidence, right? I mean, I mean that, that's really the most important thing of, of any player, of any team, uh, um, and coaches who understand that get it. And, and I'll give you an example of that, that happened this year over the last five weeks. Look at Trey Turner. I mean, a standing ovation, and now he's a different player. Right? That, that's all it took, right? Was, was someone making him believe, hey, man, we, you stink right now, but we still love you, right? So the only thing that's really changed – is his confidence level. And so it's really the most important thing, um, which is why people say he's arrogant or cocky. Well, he better be. I mean, he, he better have the confidence that he's really good because if he doesn't, then that humble pie is going to be way bigger than you think it is. So uh, um, confidence is important, and I think there's no better example of that than the, the Trey Turner turnaround from, from five weeks ago. Yeah, I, I had a great – I saw a great uh... – clip from one of his teammates, Castellanos, just kind of pumping him up, you know, like this guy's, this guy's, the, this is when he was struggling, right? He's going to be fine. I'm not worried about him. He earned the contract he got, like, he's going to yep. be just fine. You guys don't worry about it. Right. And that's, you know, it, it's hard to appreciate, you know, especially in baseball when it's 162 games and, you know, even the best ones on the planet can go weeks where they just feel like they can't hit the ocean from a boat. And it's like, man, right. how am I going to get out of this? How am I ever going to survive? Uh, I actually wrote something recently about, about, ego and and the fact that it gets this rap this bad rap of like oh you know this guy's got an ego well what's the last per last time you met somebody who's really good at something who didn't have an ego right you know like it's that's part of what drives you now you can be you can still be an ass you can still let it get the best of you and and right. have too much of an ego and and no humility but you're damn right you should have an ego if you're good at something otherwise where's that confidence coming from that's right it's the most important part you you, you have to have the confidence and you know, you can still be a good person and, and, and have an ego. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You talked about, uh, Oh one, you go to the Yankees. Right. And, um, I feel like it's, we just, we just passed the 
22nd uh, remembrance of, of September 11th, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, but you, you were the recipient of, uh, in my opinion, not probably not just like the most famous, but the most important first pitch in, uh, in baseball history, uh, from, from George W. Bush, uh, post nine 11, when, when the world series got back to, got back to New York, talk, talk to me about that, man. It had to be surreal. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a, um, it is a, it is hard to believe it's been 22 years, but it's one of the I would agree with you. It's the most important first pitch we've ever had. I think it signified to, to our entire country that that we're going to start the healing process and, and we're going to do it together. And Billy, I, I can't remember a time we were more unified as a, as a country um, at that time uh, since then. So um, it, it was a um, it was a obviously a huge honor for me to be a part of it. Um, and not just what it, it meant at that moment, but um, what it meant to, to the, the city of New York, to, to, to the because New, New Yorkers are so resilient, um, but, but they were they were knocked down. And, and, and you know, they, the, that, that was the, the thing that, that we're getting back up and we're going to heal and we're going to do this together. And so for me to be a part of it was really cool, man. It, it was um, it was it was a big deal for me, for sure. When did you, when'd you find out you were the guy that was going to catch it? Well, I wasn't supposed to do it. Jorge was supposed to catch catch the pitch, but uh, Rocket was pitching that night, <clears throat> and uh, uh, as he often would, he took a little extra time in the bullpen before <laughs> before he got in. And so President Bush is actually walking on the field, and, and Jorge's not in there. So I just grabbed my glove and ran on the field. So there there was no build up. There there was no. Uh, uh, so you get Clemens to thank for for, for yeah, being part of history. For sure. For sure. For sure. So, uh, but, but yeah, there was no build up, no, no time to be anxious or nervous about it. Uh, um, and so, um, did just like I normally would, I mean, I have my glove sitting on the top step for a reason, right? Whether it's to, to go out in between innings or go catch the first pitch or whatever. So president Bush is, is walking out on the field and Jorge's not in there. So I just grabbed my glove and ran on the field. And, uh, obviously the, the, the framing metrics were off the charts. <laughs> Spin rate to the roof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so there really uh, there, there was no build up, there was no plan or anything. It just kind of it just kind of evolved into me doing it. Well, I've I've I got to see the video, uh, you know, several times over the last few weeks, and um, you know, I love the one where Bush is telling the story about Jeter telling him not to bounce the ball, and uh, you know, the story of asking him where he's going to throw the the pitch from from the front of the mound or from the rubber, and. Uh, giving him some not so, not so subtle advice. You better throw it from the monitor. They're going to, they're going to boo you. Yeah, he did. And and you know, the, the, the thing about that is when he, when president Bush landed outside the stadium, wherever you were at in the stadium, you, you were stuck there because everything shut down. And so Derek was down in the cage. And and so when when president Bush said he wanted to, to, you know, to go, go warm up a little bit, um, that, that's how all that came to be. So, um, the rest of us were, were locked into the, into the clubhouse. So um, either way, uh, w- w- again, the captain giving real advice, right? That's what he did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, man, that's serendipity right there um, with, with it happening the way it, it, it did. I didn't, I didn't realize that part of the story, but uh, I mean, I got, I got goosebumps. I still get goosebumps when I watch it. Um, you know, you, you've been, you know, in the game forever at this point as a player and, and as an evaluator and, and you get, you can get numb. It's pretty easy to get numb to um, kind of the impact that, that sports can have on people. And, and that is as good of an example as anything I could think of 
um, where it, it, it did, it, it sort of, sort of officially kicked off the healing process is what it felt like at the time. And, um, you know, it's America's pastime and it was the New York Yankees and, you know, man, I grew up in Boston and for the first time ever, I found myself rooting for the Yankees just because, yeah. you know, of everything that had gone through and, and it just felt right. I'm like, if they're ever going to win a world series, this should be the year, you know, yeah. it's, and the ultimate irony is they, they seemingly won every year, except that one. Um, the one you're in there, yeah. <laughs> the one you were there. It's the curse of Todd Green. Yeah. But yeah, man, it was, it was such a, uh, it's still surreal for me to watch it, uh, you know, and, and I wasn't the guy who caught the pitch. So I can't imagine what that's, that's gotta be a memory you're gonna hold with you forever. Yeah, it was, you know, it was such a, a great world series. Got, gotta be, you know, in the top two or three, um, best played world series. Reality is the Diamondbacks should have swept us. Uh, um, but, but the, 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 the three games in New York were exactly what that city needed. It, it's what our country needed. Um, but to lose the way we did with Mo on the mound, it, it was, you know, um, certainly not a fairy tale. But the healing part, and, and I think that that was definitely one of the, the uh, parts of the healing. And I do believe that the Mets first game back, because they were the first team back in New York to, to, to play. So I think that first game back with the Mets and then having President Bush there for game three of the World Series were definitely two of the biggest moments uh, to, to, to keep that healing process going. Yeah. And, and, and you're, I think you're, you're spot on that, that we were so unified as a country um, and it, it lasted for a while. It, it felt like it, it was the ultimate uh, perspective changer for everybody uh, to, to, to live in a, in a post 9-11 world and realize what really mattered and, you know, how to treat each other and, and the incredible stories that came out of that and to have that sort of moment of catharsis with, you know, a stadium full of people screaming and the president of the United States throws out the first pitch. I mean, it was, it sent a very strong message. I felt, I remember at the time, I still remember it. So, um, and it, it was, I, mean, I met you years and years later and realized like, Holy shit, you're the guy that, you're the guy that caught the ball, aren't you? you know? yeah. 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 Well, for sure. And again, um, fortunately for me, I was there and like the, 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 the never forget is not just a punchline for me. I, I will never forget how I felt that day. Um, I'll, I'll never forget seeing the, the missing person signs, literally thousands everywhere you went. Um, uh, I'll, I'll never forget being able to feel the ground shake when when building number seven fell um, from across the river wh where I was living. So there's so many things that that, that, that never forgets real for me. It's not it's not a punchline. And, and so um, to, to your point, being a part of some, a healing process like that was was really cool for me and something I'm very proud of. Yeah, as you, as you should be. Um, you know, there's a lot that I think the world can learn from sports. It's it's why I try to share conversations like this, because I think that even if you're not a sports fan or you don't know anything about baseball or other sports, there's a lot of lessons and a lot of values that that can serve you well, uh, you know, in your life and in business. I mean, what's you're a guy who has spent, you said you're a lifer, right? You've played, you've scouted, you've, you've done a lot of things in the game. Um, but you've also got, you know, granted it's a baseball business, but you've got sort of a side venture in, in the youth sports space. Like what, what lessons do you think the business world can, can glean from, from pro baseball or baseball in general that, that, you know, are really tangible, valuable lessons? I, I really believe it's, 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 everything's a competition, right? So, so if you want to have a successful business, you have to be able to compete with, with uh, um, 
competing companies or businesses do the same thing you do. So if you strive to be the best at what you can do, if you strive for perfection, understanding you can attain it, uh, um, but but you, you attain the level of success and, and ability to compete in a space, that's what it's all about. What are you willing to do to get better? What are you willing to do to make you different than, than the other person in the room that does the same thing? I mean, there, there's always a separator. And so if you always have that uh, respect for, for everyone in the room, but, but, but also that desire to be better or, or at least be as good as, as the best one in the room, then you have a chance to succeed. So I, I just think too many people take stuff for granted and they're not willing to learn and they're not willing to evolve. They're, they're not willing to, 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 it's just a competition, right? So the more knowledge you have, the, the, the more information you have, the better decisions you'll be able to make. And I think that's the same as being a baseball player. What are you willing to do to, to be better than the next guy? So, uh, um, and I think, you know, I only had one guaranteed contract, Billy, in 12 years. So I had to make the team every year. Well, there were other catchers there competing with me that we would help each other every day, right? So we were trying to help each other be better. There was 30 teams, and that means there has to be 60 catchers. And what can we do to help us with our careers? And I have a fond allegiance to the backup catchers. And I do the baseball immaculate grid every day, right? And so my, 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 the, the, when I see these teams, I'm thinking, who was the backup catchers, right? So <laughs> back when I played. So um, it, 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 it was, uh, it's just a competition to see who was going to make the team. But throughout that competition, we helped each other try to get better at whatever it was. We, we talked about mistakes we made during the game or, or if we could have called a different pitch or whatever. And so it's, it's not a competition where you're trying to keep something from the next guy. You, you have to be able to take the same information and just be better at it. And so to me, the competition is what drove me. Yeah, I've seen that since I've been out of the game. Uh, and I took it for granted because I was around it for, for as long as I was. And I was an athlete growing up that you just assume that people approach things similarly, whether it's from a competition standpoint or a discipline or a hard work, whatever it might be. And you realize that they don't. And, and, and I've talked to a lot of athletes former college athletes, whatever, they're trying to figure out what they want to do with the rest of their lives. That's like, man, just again, lean in on your strength. That's more of a strength than you realize being able to compete. And I love the story about, cause I, cause I know it's hard for some people to be able to understand that. Like at their core, they're like, look, okay, okay. I'm a competitor and, and I'm going to win, but still being able to sort of confer with your competition and, ha and have a true friendly competition and be like, all right, look, man, this is what I'm seeing. You can actually get better doing that. Decrease your chances of, of quote unquote winning, right? But you're going to help the organization. You're going to help the team. That is like some real powerful, uh, some powerful stuff in my opinion, because that's a lot of people can't do that. It's 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 one way or the other. I feel like. Well, I I had players who wouldn't, right? So I, I saw both sides of it, and and, I, and and so Billy, I really believe that's why I'm still in the game today, though, because I, I was a good person. I treated everybody respectfully. Um, um, I tried to learn as much as I could. I tried to share as much as I could. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, I can't remember the reporter in San Francisco when my career is over. You know, he asked me a couple of questions, but one was, did I fear anything? And, and the, the only thing I ever feared um, was being on a long plane flight and one of my teammates who's struggling coming and sitting next to me on the plane and say, Greeny, man, what are you seeing? What am I doing wrong? And me not have an answer and, and me not have been paying attention to what everybody's doing. That's the only fear I ever had. So when I was sitting on that top step watching the game, I was watching the game 
with everybody, all of my teammates. And so that was really the only fear, man, was that if someone was struggling, because I've been there, we were all there, man, when you felt like the world's ending and, and there's nothing but black clouds above. And, and, um, and every single player goes through that, every one of them, even the great ones. And so was for me not to have been watching and paying attention to my teammates and someone just being so lost to, to come up and sit next to me and say, what are you saying, man? And me not have an answer. That was my only fear. Wow, man. So that's, I think that's the definition of being a good teammate. That's incredible. Um, you know, I think it, it, it's just who you are, right? As a person, it's obviously it served you well uh, throughout your playing career and post playing career. And, um, you know, I'm grateful that, that I got to sit in for a few years with you and have those conversations. And, um, you know, I know it's genuine that you, that you want to, uh, you want to compete. You want to challenge yourself. You want to challenge your teammates. Right. And you call BS when you think it's BS. And uh, that's a beautiful thing, man. I mean, I, yeah. at least in my opinion. Uh, yeah. And I love that, you know, we were fortunate enough to be in a place at a time where you could have those conversations and, uh, you know, the door was closed and we're going to arm wrestle over something. And then at the at the end of that conversation, argument, wrestling match, whatever it was going to be, we were going to, you know, our boss was going to make a decision. And we were going to walk out arm in arm and say, okay, this is, yep, we're, it was unanimous. This is what we wanted. That's right. That's right. That's the opinion and support business, right? I give my opinion. Like you said, we, we have the arm wrestling match and then I support the decision that was made. I mean, it, it's, uh, um, it's that simple. And the, the, the ones who, who can't handle that are, are the, the, like the ones that, that the ego gets in the way, right? So like we said, you have to have an ego, but it can't get in the way, right? Yeah. So um, and we did have a good process and we had a room of good people. And I still think there, there's rooms like that around the game. It's a lot different. Those rooms are a lot smaller. Um, but, but I still think there's good processes. And I know, um, I know this is going back 30 minutes ago, but our scouts, scouts opinions are definitely, are definitely wanted and definitely valued and used. Um, it's just done in a different way now. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that they're still being valued. Um, it's, it's something that can't be replaced and it's, and it's a critical part of that equation. Um, so Greeny, I appreciate you sharing, man. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been good catching up. Yeah. Enjoyed it, Billy. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the no one is watching podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe to be notified of future episodes. If you'd like to support the show, please take a second, leave a rating and review or share it with your friends. If you're interested in similar content, you can check out my website at no one is watching.com where you can subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, or follow me on your social media platform of choice. Look, your time is valuable, so thank you for lending me some of it. We'll see you next time.